message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, something I mentioned during the week about the foundation of our lives and how the difference it makes to move or to see the foundation of your life being Jesus. Now, you remember the story about Joshua? In Joshua 6, Joshua is being led to take this great city called Jericho. And um, so he's just outside Jericho, and um, the Lord gives him some instructions as to how to take the city. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you come every Sunday, and you're waiting to get some instructions from God because you think that if you obey those instructions, victory. And I want to share this morning, that's not true. That's not the way it works. Let's read this together. Joshua 6 from verse 3. Here's the instructions God gave Joshua. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And those are the instructions that God gave Joshua how to take Jericho. Now, have you ever been in the situation where you ask somebody for directions and they give you instructions? And maybe you're in a strange place, and you stopped and you asked somebody, and they start, and they say, well, listen, you go up here, you turn left, you go for about a, a mile or so, then you take the second in your right, then you go up there a wee bit, and you tr- You know, that's happened to me several times, and this person, I just lose track after 30 seconds. <laughs> I, just, I just can't remember anymore, you know? So they're all, they're all explaining to me how to get to this place, and I'm smiling, and then when they're finished explaining, I thank them very much, and then I get into my car, and I drive off in the wrong direction, and you can see them in the mirror looking, going, is that guy stupid or what, <laughs> you know? So I say this this morning because, you know, if this was me, if I got these instructions from God, I would have been too embarrassed to interrupt him halfway through going, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I don't, I don't, what did you say? Was that five times or six times, you know? So I probably would have said, thank you, Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And then I would have got off and I would have gone around Jericho four days instead of five and I would have got the wrong number of people and finally I would have given a shout at the wrong time and we all would have ran into a brick wall. <laughs> So if you're a bit like me and you find it very difficult to remember instructions or to follow instructions, I've got some really good news for you this morning. God does not give to you on the basis of your obedience to his instructions. Now at first sight, that sounds wrong, but I'm going to explain to you why I believe that's true. I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show you from these scriptures this morning. Praise God. It sounds right, you know, because the spirit of the world always points to us, always points to you, always says it's down to you. You need to save yourself. So you better make sure you follow the instructions because it's all down to your obedience. Do you see? That's what the world does. And if you take the phone out of your pocket now, you'll see the whole world is saying the same message to every person here. You need to save yourself. And if you buy this from us, it'll help you save yourself. (laughs) That's what the whole world says. The whole world points to you. But two weeks ago, remember I said, any message that points you to you has no power. Any message that points you to you 
has no power. Last time I spoke, we looked at uh, Goliath. Remember that? And that was a picture of the enemy calling out the I, the individual. Remember Goliath said, bring me out a man. Call, bring me out a man that I may fight him. And the effect of saying that over God's people was everybody saw themselves as individuals, you know. So Goliath managed to reduce the body of God's people to a crowd of individuals. And that's what the word will do to us. If we keep listening to that message, you need to save yourself, you become more and more of an individual. Church is not a crowd of individuals. It's a supernatural body. Natural vision sees the individual. Heavenly vision sees the body. Goliath called out the I. The Holy Spirit calls out the us. God by his Spirit shows us union. It shows us that we're part of a body. So I'm not here uh, to motivate you to try and become a better individual. Uh, I'm here to preach the gospel because it's through the proclamation of Christ as our head that we all become aware that we're part of his body. It's through the power that comes with the proclamation of Christ as the head. As God speaks to us through the gospel, the power comes for us to be. Be with him. That's part of a body because we're all with him. It's a supernatural thing. We are part of a body. When Michael's blessed, we're all blessed. When Roseanne's blessed, we're all blessed. When one struggles, we all struggle. It's, I don't understand it fully, but I know it's true. And the Holy Spirit shows it more and more. The more we stand in his presence and minister to him, the more we see that you're not a no, you're not an I. Because he's never been an I. You see, the Bible says, be very careful the God you worship because you'll become like that God. That's what happens. The God you stand before, you'll become like him. So if you meet people who are legalistic and narrow-minded and very judgmental, you know why that is? That's the God they worship. They actually believe God's like that. He's, he's legalistic and he's narrow-minded and he's judgmental, you know. So stand before him, the God who has given us everything, and you'll find a change comes in your life. You'll start to be like the God who gives and gives, not the God who grasps, praise God. So God's voice has the power to call your life up into a new being, being with him. And we said that the last time too. The voice of the Spirit lifts us from becoming into being. You know, I spent years of my life, uh, both in and out of church, trying to become someone. I'm not wasting any more of my life trying to become someone. I've given up on being a human becoming. I want to be a human being. <laughs> a human being with God. No more human becoming. I'm not listening to the world anymore Tell me to try harder and here's what I need to buy or do in order to save myself. I'm not, I'm not listening anymore. <laughs> I'm not, no longer I want to be a human becoming. I'm a being by the grace of God. I am who I am and you are who you are by the grace of God. And as we become more and more aware of God's grace in our lives, we can be. That's what happens when we spend time ministering to the Lord and worshiping. He lifts your perspective. You might have walked into this room and uh, maybe I think John said it this morning, and, and your whole mind is full of fear about the future. What, what, what if that happens? And, and what if this happens, you know? And sometimes that's the way the world leaves us. We're either living in the past or we're living in the future. So what the Holy Spirit does, he enables us to live in the now. He says, all is well. You can be. You don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to become. You can be who you are. Praise God. So natural vision only allows us to see ourselves as always becoming but never being. And that's why the empowering of the vision of the Holy Spirit always enables us to preach the gospel, not as a message about becoming with God one day, but as a message of being with God today. Do you see the difference? 
When we understand they're with God today, it changes the way we even speak. If you don't see that, if you're always trying to become, then we'll preach the gospel as about being with God one day in heaven. The gospel is not a message about being with God one day in heaven. The gospel is a message about being in God today. That's what Christ has done, in God today. And when we come into that message, an amazing thing happens. The power of heaven comes on the earth through your life because God is with you and you know God is with you. And that changes the way you are with people. When you know God is with you and he's given you everything you need, you won't look to people to give you something. That changes everything really, you know. Changes the way you are around people. There's no power in any message that points you to yourself. Praise God. Now, you might say, uh, Phelan, uh, that's not what we just read. We, I'm sorry, we just read that God gave Joshua instructions, and then Joshua followed the instructions, and that's why he was given what he was given. You first do what God asks you to do, and then God gives. Let me show you from the Scripture that that's not correct. You see, you might think that if what I read to you was the only thing that God had said to Joshua, but it wasn't. In fact, what we just read was only the end of what God said to Joshua, I didn't read you the beginning. What do you call the beginning of a house? The foundation. The foundation. Each life here has a foundation. It has a beginning. And what the Holy Spirit wants to show us is our beginning actually was in Christ. See, without a proper foundation, a building will remain unstable because all its weight is on the wrong place. You can walk out there now, and you know what? You could build another level on top of that, because I saw the foundation that went into that, and so did you. It goes down 10 feet. <laughs> you could build a skyscraper on top of that foundation. It's such a powerful foundation. Without a proper foundation, a Christian will remain unstable because all their weight is on the wrong place. You see, if Christ and his work is not laid as the foundation of our new life, we will continue to put far too much weight on our own performance, our own obedience, as the foundation for our lives. Now, of course, my obedience and your obedience is important. But what I want to show you this morning is that my obedience is not the foundation of my new life in Christ. It really isn't. Don't let any preacher or teacher lay your obedience as the foundation for your new life in Christ. I'll say that again. Don't let any preacher or teacher lay your obedience as the foundation of your new life in Christ. It happens all over the place. Let me give you a newsflash. You weren't made righteous by your obedience. Listen to Romans 5, 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And here's the good news of the gospel. You are not that one. Praise the Lord. That's good. Your obedience is not the foundation of your righteousness, your life in God. Christ's obedience is the foundation. Despite the fact that you may have heard a thousand messages in church emphasizing your obedience over and over again, no preacher has the right to lay any foundation for your new life in Christ other than the one already laid. And those aren't my words. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Let me read them to you from 1 Corinthians 3.10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, the reason why so many of us approach the Bible like a self-help instruction manual is because too much of our weight is leaning on the wrong place. 
Rather than the weight of our salvation leaning entirely on Christ and his finished work, someone has mixed us and our obedience into the foundation. It's very dangerous to mix something foreign into the foundation. What happens when you mix a foreign mineral into the concrete of a house's foundation? (laughs) We don't have to go too far to know, do we? Donegal today is full of thousands of houses that had a substance called mica mixed in with the concrete. Now, to begin with, you didn't see any difference. It took a few years. But after a few years, cracks started to appear in the foundation. And I want to say that's what happens in the lives of believers when we allow somebody to mix my obedience and your obedience into the foundation of a new life. You can do it for a while. You can sing the songs, you whatever. But sooner or later, cracks are going to appear. Cracks are going to appear because you're going to be let down by your own willpower. Your willpower by yourself, you can never be obedient enough to be like God. God's not asking you to. He's not saying, if you'll do this, then I'll give you that. We're going to see that he, in fact, gave us everything before we did one thing for him. Praise God. That's what happens. We get this mica. Now, mica, you see, mica like draws in water in from the outside and it begins to swell the concrete in places and so it weakens the cohesiveness of the concrete and the first signs that start to appear are cracks you know when what that's what happens when someone adds your performance as an individual into the finished work of christ as the foundation for your salvation nothing to begin with happens but before long you're putting far too much weight on something as weak as your willpower cracks will start to appear you'll either swell up with pride that your obedience has been good enough to gain you salvation, or you'll be in despair thinking, my God, my willpower just isn't strong enough. When a congregation knows that their salvation sits on the foundation of Christ and his obedience, then as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 declares, when they know that they're saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves, but it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we all know that, there's a great unity and cohesiveness in that body of people because no one is sitting in judgment on anybody else. For what did we all get that we didn't receive? Isn't that beautiful? So that brings such a tremendous unity when that foundation is actually laid in our lives. Praise God. That's why we preach the gospel of Christ's finished work every Sunday, to keep the mica of self out of the foundation of our new lives so that we don't start cracking up and dividing because our hope has slipped off Christ now and onto people. Now, I thank God that my hope is not in the apostolic church (laughs) and their performance, or I might end up pretty disillusioned (laughs) and disappointed. And I'm trusting that if we keep preaching the gospel that lifts up Christ and his work, then you will find that when people let you down, and they will, your life does not begin to crack and totter because the foundation laid in your life was Christ's and his work, not anyone else's. Praise God. So if your hope is in me and my performance as a pastor, then I have been laying the wrong foundation. And sooner or later, cracks are going to appear because there's only one man good enough to carry your expectations, and it ain't me. (laughs) Praise God. You'd be surprised, you know, how many believers we have met over the years who have ended their days divided and disappointed because the weight of their expectations had slipped off Christ and onto some church or man or woman or organization, you know? Because they allowed someone to lay a foundation in their lives other than Christ. 
Your life as a believer cannot rest on the strength of your willpower alone, your obedience alone. And if people keep pointing you to your obedience, the danger is that you'll start to think that your obedience is the foundation of your salvation. Well, the, the truth, in fact, is that your obedience cannot exist alone. It emerges from, it is the fruit of, the foundation of your life, which is Christ. A foundation that was laid when God spoke to you through the gospel of Christ's finished work, not your unfinished works, praise God. Now, what has all that got to do with Joshua? I promised you I'd show you this in this verse, and you need to be able to see this in this verse. So we can say from that verse we read this morning, yes, Joshua was obedient, but his obedience was not something God left him to produce by himself. His obedience was the fruit of the empowering presence of God that came to him when God spoke to him. Praise God. And so your life and my life as a Christian isn't really something we produced ourselves. I thought for years God was asking me to produce the Christian life. Nearly killed me. He's not. He says, I will put my spirit in you. And you will bear the fruit. Just like the angel said, the angel didn't say to Gabriel, you will produce a child. He said, when the spirit comes, you will bear Christ. And that's what happened to us. Let me show you that from the scripture. The root, the foundation of Joshua's obedience wasn't just the instructions that, that we just read, but that, that God said something to him which changed him, which imparted to him a new mind, a revelation. Read Joshua 5. Look back. If you read the little verse that we just read this morning, in Joshua 6, verse 2, go back three verses and look at Joshua 5, verse 13. Let's start to read from the foundation. Let's see what God actually said to Joshua. It says there from Joshua 5, verse 13, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or for our enemies? That's what we often say to God in prayer, isn't it? Are you for me? Come on, I've been praying about this for years. Are you for me or against me? <laughs> what does God say when you say that? <laughs> Next verse. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And here's what I want to show you, what I believe the message the Holy Spirit would say to the church. Because that we're always looking to do. Do what I have to do. Just tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. What do we have to do to do the works of God? Remember they asked Jesus that? Look what he says. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Take off your sandals. Stop thinking about what you're going to be doing or what you need to do. I'm here. That changes everything. That changes everything. You know, there's no better place than being with God. Isn't that right? Sometimes we live our whole lives waiting for that great day. I think I read this. There was a priest about 300 years ago, and he wrote this. can't remember his name. He said, I lived my life waiting for my family to get themselves sorted out. I thought for years that when my family would get themselves sorted out, then I could start to live. When he got himself sorted, when she got, then my life would begin. Eventually, I realized my life doesn't begin then. I was waiting and waiting and waiting for life to begin, and I was missing life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Your life can begin, your perfect life can begin today when you know God is with you. You're not going to get a better day. 
You're never going to get a day when there's not trouble. I'm sorry, God didn't promise us that. N not here. He said, you'll have trouble. Oh, you'll have plenty of trouble. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome this world. <laughs> and you're in me and I'm in you, you know. Oh, my goodness me. Now, I know I believe this in my head that God is with me. But I think this is where standing in his presence helps. When we take time to stand in his presence, when we take time just to come aside and just be with him, the revelation that he's here gets stronger and stronger. Danny gave me a book on Smith Wigglesworth. I mentioned it actually last time I was speaking and how he was a man who spent so much time um, being aware of the presence of God that eventually he said strange things like, do you know that I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside? <laughs> he said, also said this, the spirit, rests on, the spirit is in me for me, but he rests on me for others. He just began to be aware that the Spirit of God wanted to move through him to touch so many people. It's such a beautiful thing because God's Spirit is a giver. He's the God who gives, praise God. But look at the last thing that God said to Joshua in verse 2 of Joshua, sorry, verse 2 of Joshua 6. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with his king and his fighting men. Now, march around the city. You see, that's when the the instructions come only after he's seen that I have already delivered. I have already given. So before Joshua gets any instructions, he needs an impartation of the Spirit of God. He needs a revelation, a new mind on God. He knows, needs to know God, not as God in heaven one day, but God with me today. We need the same. God never expected you or I to live a life of obedience apart from the revelation of knowing of his presence with us and in us. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do Apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say, apart from me, you can do nothing except these instructions. Right? I want you to follow these instructions. And if you're obedient enough, then you can be with me. He didn't say that. Then I will give you your victory. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? See, I have delivered. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. See. I have delivered. See, I have given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Because when you got Christ, you got everything. You got everything. Do you remember there was an advertisement on God TV years ago? And it showed an auction taking place in the grounds of a rich man's house. And all this rich man had died. And all his belongings were laid out on the lawn. And there were paintings and tables and chairs and lots of really beautiful stuff. But the auctioneer said, I have a... According to the will of the man who died, the first item that has to be auctioned is this painting of the man's son who died many years before. Does anybody want to bid on this? And he looked around and nobody was bidding. Nobody wanted this. Everybody wanted the big stuff. We wanted to pick a bidding on that big painting or that bit of gold over there. You know, nobody wanted to bid for the, for the old man's son. And eventually the gardener happened to be working there and he heard this and he he recognized the painting. He had known the son. And he saw that nobody else was buying the son. He was very grieved. He put his hand up and said, I'll buy it. And so it was sold to the gardener. And at that point, the auctioneer folded up his papers and said, that's the end of the auction. And everybody said, what do you mean? He said, it's in the will of the father. Whoever gets the son gets everything. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Whoever gets the son gets everything. You and I, we got everything. <laughs> you know what you did it. No, I know this in my head. I know this in my head. I know that you know this in your head. But the Holy Spirit is here to give us such a beautiful revelation. We got everything. We got everything.
Now, when that sinks from your head into your heart, or maybe the other way around, from your spirit up into your head, your feet start dancing. <laughs> what did George Michael sing? Guilty feet ain't got no rhythm. <laughs> when you realize the gospel is true and God doesn't see you as guilty, praise God, he sees you as innocent. He sees you as innocent as little Ava is over in that hospital this morning, 12 hours old, totally innocent. Everybody loves a baby. Everybody wants to go and visit uh, little Alice or little Nora because everybody loves innocence. You see, something in us craves innocence. So beautiful. That's what God's saying. You got everything. You even got my innocence. Oh, no, your mind and my mind can't receive that. Takes us a while to digest that. But keep hearing the gospel. Keep letting the foundation of your life be what he has given, not what you're going to give him, but what he's given you. You know, the Bible says that the very last lesson Jesus taught his disciples, he got down and washed their dirty feet. And I love John 13, it says this. Just before he did that, it says, Jesus knowing where he had come from and where he was going, and knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he got down and washed their feet. When you and I get a revelation that everything you're looking for is already yours in Christ, you'll suddenly lose self-consciousness. It won't be about you anymore. It won't be about what they didn't give to me, what my family never did for me, what my church never did for me, what I'm, what, what I'm going to do one day if I ever get... No, all that will go out the window. You'll say, oh my God, I'm blessed. What Roseanne Cassidy says every time she leaves this church, oh, aren't we blessed? <laughs> aren't we blessed? Aren't we blessed though? Aren't we blessed? Aren't we blessed? I think I'm going to stop there and break bread, you know. It's so beautiful. Now, this table, it speaks of learning to receive. I'm very bad at receiving. The world has trained my mind to do, 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 do. In fact, God, we need to do church. We need to do work. We need to do family. We're so poor at receiving. Little Ava again and all these little young children, they can do nothing for themselves. They can only receive. Jesus said, you must become as little children to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So will you receive this message this morning? Will you receive the fact that everything that's been done for you, that needs to be done, has been done? If you will receive that, your soul will come into rest. Your mind will come into rest. You'll lose self-consciousness. And you'll find that the giver in you wants to give, not to grasp. You won't be grasping for life anymore. You won't be looking for people's good opinion of you. You'll just think, you know what? If God is for me, who can be against me?